If you're enjoying this Med Prep to Go Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Crush Step 1 podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. I'm Dr. Raj, and today we're going to be listening to some USMLE Step 1 questions on this Med Prep to Go podcast. And the topic is going to be pharmacology, and we'll be reviewing three questions from pharmacology. But if you really dig this, please, for more questions, go check out our website. It's medpreptogo.com. It's a free audio and online question bank. And if you want to learn more about me, Dr. Raj, uh, check out my website. It's beyondthepearls.net. My podcast, which what a surprise, it's Beyond the Pearls. Uh, please follow me on all social media platforms. I'd love to, for you folks to reach out and ask questions. And I do have multiple book series. My basic science book series is Case Reports Beyond the Pearls. And my clinical book series, which has been around for a while, is Morning Report Beyond the Pearls. Really good for step two and three. So check them out. So let's get to some questions. This is Farm. So it's a 34-year-old woman brought to the emergency department by a friend with confusion and altered mental status. Her past medical history is significant for schizophrenia, but otherwise unremarkable. The friend reports that she does not drink alcohol. Her initial vital signs are a temperature of, uh uh-oh, 103.1 Fahrenheit. So she's super febrile. Blood pressure is 139 over 90. Heart rate of 110, respiratory rate of 19. They do an ECG, and all it shows is sinus tachycardia with no other acute changes. Physical examination is significant for confusion, tachycardia, diffuse muscle rigidity. So fevers, muscle rigidity, history of schizophrenia. I mean, this is like dropping pearls all over this vignette. Which of the following is the most likely cause of this patient's condition? Well, is it A, acute alcohol withdrawal, B, acetaminophen overdose, which will kind of be mean if that was the answer because, number one, they didn't give any history of acetaminophen, and I don't know why she'd be overdosing on it. C, oh, that's even more mean, heroin overdose, and does it present like this with big fevers and, you know, and having muscle rigidity? Is it D, malignant hyperthermia? or E, neuroleptic malignant syndrome. All right. So I think I have a strong feeling everyone kind of knows where this is going. Buzzwords time, schizophrenia, muscle rigidity, high fevers. Yeah, you folks are awesome. This is going to be E, neuroleptic malignant syndrome. This patient is presenting with a tetrad of fever, rigidity, mental status changes, and autonomic instability seen with neuroleptic malignant syndrome, NMS. NMS is caused by drugs that block dopamine transmission, such as antipsychotics. And remember, antipsychotics could be the typical or the atypicals, you know? So, of course, typical ones are always going to be things like haloperidol. But atypicals, oh, man, it could be quintanapine, which is Seroquel. It could be Risperidone. It could be Abilify. It could be Zyprexa, which is Olanzapine. I can go all day. And, of course, these are going to be medications that block dopamine or even anti-emetic agents. 
NMS is life-threatening emergency, which is totally true. That is treated by stopping the causative agent and providing a lot of supportive care. Medications uh, may be indicated to treat moderate to severe clinical manifestations, though their efficacy is, you know, is unclear. Commonly used agents for this are going to be things like dantrolene, bromocryptine, amantadine, or some benzodiazepines. Answer A, acute alcohol withdrawal is incorrect. Acute alcohol withdrawal presents with restlessness and agitation and anxiety, of course, some insomnia at night, tremors, palpitations, diaphoresis, nausea, and vomiting. More significant alcohol withdrawal symptoms can include, uh-oh, hallucinations and seizures. And it goes under this whole umbrella of delirium tremens, which can definitely be life-threatening. Fever seen in this patient um, can happen with alcohol withdrawal, but would not be expected. Answer choice B, acetaminophen overdose is incorrect. Acetaminophen overdose presents with signs of sympathetic excess, such as tachycardia, hypertension, hyperthermia, diaphoresis, and mitriasis. In mental status, such as agitation, anxiety, or violent behaviors can be seen. Seizures may also occur. Musculoskeletal findings can include tremens and myoclonus as opposed to muscular rigidity as seen in this patient. Choice C, heroin overdose is incorrect. Heroin overdose presents with depressed mental status, decreased respiratory rate, increased bowel sounds, constricted pupils, which were not described in this patient. These were dilated pupils. Answer choice D, malignant hyperthermia is incorrect. Malignant hyperthermia frequently presents with elevated end-tidal CO2 if they're intubated, and you can see that shoot up, tachypnea, and other sinus tachycardia as soon after induction with general anesthesia. Other findings can include a masseter muscle rigidity, arrhythmias, hyperthermia, malignant hyperthermia is predominantly seen in patients receiving volatile anesthetic agents and has also been reported following the administration of succinylcholine, which is a type of paralytic. And the learning point here is neuroleptic malignant syndrome is characterized by a tetrad of fever rigidity, mental status changes, and autonomic instability, often caused by antipsychotics or antiemetic agents. And truth be told, you know, when I think of the big three, whether it's going to be neuroleptic malignant syndrome, malignant hyperthermia, let me throw one else out there, serotonin syndrome, it's really hard to distinguish these three clinically when you're in the medical ICU and you're looking at these patients. You really need to get a good history. You need to talk to the family. You need to see what the drugs they were taking, what's their past medical history, and really kind of piece it together by there. But this is a great question for the board exams. Definitely in pharmacology, they love throwing out some memorizing questions. you got to memorize antidotes. It's all about memorizing antidotes. I'm sorry about that. But I love this question for the board exams. So next question is going to be a 67-year-old man presents to his physician accompanied by his wife. She states that recently her husband has been confused and has suffered multiple falls in the past days. The patient has a history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, as well as gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD. He was prescribed a medication for heartburn symptoms several months ago based on presenting symptoms, which of the following is the mechanism of action of the medication most likely prescribed to his patient. So they're uh, implying that the mental status changes was from a medication for his GERD and how does that medication work? 
Is it A, antagonism of the five HT3 receptors? B, increased production and secretion of gastric mucus barrier? C, irreversible inhibition of the hydrogen potassium ATPase pump in the stomach on parietal cells? D, neutralization of stomach pH? E, reversible inhibition of H2 receptors in stomach parietal cells? So the correct answer here is going to be E, reversible inhibition of H2 receptors in stomach parietal cells. Based on the patient's side effects of dizziness and confusion, it is most likely that he was prescribed an H2 blocker to treat his symptoms of heartburn. Now, I got to tell you clinically, you know what I mean? When we're talking about heartburn, if I were to ask you, what is the best first initial treatment therapy for gastroesophageal reflux disease? It's always going to be lifestyle modifications, right? You're not going to be a drug pusher and start, hey, here's your H2 blocker. You know, I think it's going to be diet, weight loss, and exercise. Watch what you eat and when you eat. Avoid certain foods. But all right, they went straight to drugs. And I got to tell you, you know, that it's not wrong to H2 it up. I mean, most of the time, if you have significant reflux, it'd probably be a PPI, you know, a proton pump inhibitor. But in this case, they decided to use um, H2 blockers. Brand names are like a Pepsid and Zantac. Generic names are like Famotidine. So, I mean, all right. I mean, and then it seems like in this case, H2 blockers irreversibly block H2 receptor on stomach parietal cells, leading to decreased acid production. Common side effects include antiandrogenic effects, erectile dysfunction, gynecomastia, decreased libido, but also can cross the blood-brain barrier, causing confusion, dizziness, and headaches, as in this patient. You know, H2 blockers are pretty much over-the-counter, so even though the answer uh, states that it's pretty common side effects, I'm going to say not so much. You know, I think there's a distinguishing between what we see common in clinical medicine and what we see on the boards. And I think this is a great board question to know that antihistamines, even though there are H2 blockers, but antihistamines in general, you know, do have some side effects of mental status changes like in this patient. So correct on this question, but just, you know, these are not super clinically common side effects that I see all the time. Answer choice A, uh, antagonism of the 5-HT3 receptor is incorrect. This is the mechanism of odansterone, which is used as an anti-emetic and is not used in the treatment of heartburn. Common side effects include headache, constipation, long QT syndrome. I got to tell you, every uh, folks, almost <laughs> every drug prolongates the QT interval. So I would know what the QT interval is for your boards, know how to calculate it, but it's not unique to this. Many things prolongate the QT interval. And also, andasterone can cause a serotonin syndrome. So be careful if patients are on SSRIs. Choice B, increased production and secretion of gastric mucosa barriers incorrect. This is the mechanism of action of prostaglandin analogs, most commonly misoprostol. These drugs are usually well tolerated, but a common side effect of the drug is diarrhea. And I got to tell you, we do not use misoprostol that commonly in clinical medicine. Choice C, irreversible inhibition of the hydrogen potassium ATPase 
in the stomach parietal cells is incorrect. This is the mechanism of action of a proton pump inhibitor. Common side effects of these drugs include, um, they just put pneumonia here in the answer choice, but I gotta say, no, it's usually ventilator-associated pneumonias, and it's not common. It can induce hypomagnesemia, but more important than that, I'm gonna throw a Dr. Raj pearl. PPIs, you were about hypocalcemia, hypocalcemia, so please think about that in patients who are elderly females who have osteoporosis and penia. The writer also put increased risk of C. diff infections, which is totally correct. And I'm going to throw a Dr. Raj Pearl. Is that cool? That PPIs are also known to cause acute interstitial nephritis. Yep, yep, I did it. I hooked you up for another points on the board exam. So please know that. Uh, answer choice D, neutralization of stomach pH is incorrect. This is the maximum action of antacids. Different formulations of antacids exist, but... All can cause hypokalemia. Uh, side effects of albumin hydroxide include constipation, hypophosphatemia. Side effects of calcium carbonate include hypercalcemia. Uh, side effects of magnesium hydroxide include diarrhea, hyporeflexia, hypotension, and cardiac arrest. And, you know, a lot of these medications are over the counter. You really got to take a lot of them to cause these side effects. So, great question for the USMLE and board exams, but I'm telling you that those side effects are not that common unless you really chug these meds. So the learning point is H2 blockers work through uh, reversible inhibition of H2 receptors in stomach parietal cells. Common side effects of H2 blockers include antiandrogenic effects, erectile dysfunction, gynecomastia, decreased libido, but they also can cross the blood-brain barrier causing confusion, dizziness, and headaches. Um, remember Dr. Raj Pearl's Curves is treated with what? Lifestyle modifications first, H2 blockers, all this information is totally correct, but these are not very common clinical side effects. You folks want to do one more? Okay, last one. 20-year-old male is brought to the emergency department by his college roommates after having a seizure. His roommate states they were at a party where the patient took something. It's always these college parties, I'm telling you. Uh, the patient has no history of seizures and no significant past medical history. The patient is a febrile with a heart rate of 110, uh, blood pressure of 140 over 90. On physical exam, he's agitated and his eyes show nystagmus. Ooh. Which of the following medications should be given to this patient to improve his symptoms? Oh boy, do you want to give him A, flumazenil, B, lorazepam, C, methadone, D, naltrexone, E, Prochlorperazine. Uh, the correct answer is, hmm, you want to give a little uh, brand name Ativan, generic name Lorazepam, which is a benzodiazepine. So this patient has taken uh, fencyclidine, a little PCP. What year is this person in college? I didn't know that was still going around. Uh, side effects in, of PCP include intoxication, violence, impulsivity, psycho psychomotor agitation, nystagmus, hypertension, tachycardia, psychosis, delirium, and seizures. The patient in this question has symptoms of hypertension and tachycardia and is presenting after a seizure. Treatment of fencyclidine intoxication includes benzodiazepines and rapid-acting antipsychotics. Choice A, flunazinol is incorrect. Flunazinol is used for the treatment of benzodiazepine overdose, which is correct, but do you mind if I do a Dr. Raj Pearl? Okay. So, you know, when you find someone down, uh, you know, like EMS, paramedics find someone down, they don't be giving people flumazenil to reverse benzodiazepines. 
because you can revert, can have life-threatening seizures if the patient was on chronic benzodiazepines. So if they just took benzodiazepines once, meaning you could swear to God that they only took it once, sure, you could give some flumazenil, like when I do procedures in the ICU, like microscopy, and I do a conscious sedation, I gave a little too much midazolam, brand name for said, sure, maybe you could reverse the benzo with a little flumazenil. But when you found someone down, you don't know if there's you know a history of chronic anxiety. And if you start giving him flumazenil, which is the reversal agent, you could potentiate life-threatening seizures. So sure, it is the memorized, you know, antidote for benzo overdose, but we just don't give it willy-nilly and you shouldn't give it willy-nilly on the boards either because you could potentiate life-threatening seizures. Methadone is incorrect. Methadone is used for maintenance of opioid disorder. It's medically supervised opioid withdrawal and chronic pain, which doesn't fit with this patient. D, naltrexone is incorrect. Naltrexone is for uh, alcohol use disorder and used for opioid use disorder. And the utility for opioid use disorder uh, is something that is in question. But this patient did not overdose on uh, opioids in this case. You know, this is not what, you know, is what we're showing. So um, is there any downside in giving a Narcan a, a naltrexone for opioid overdose? The answer is no. And sometimes we do use it for, you know, people who are in extreme respiratory depression who may end up getting intubated, but it's not going to be the right answer in this case. And when the writer said that, you know, its utility for opioid use disorder is questionable, we're talking about long-term, not the acute setting. Just want to make sure that everyone gets that. E, oh boy, the one I can't pronounce, <laughs> prochlorpyrazine is incorrect. It is a uh, antiemetic which acts predominantly by antagonizing the D2 dopamine receptors in the midbrain. So the learning point here is it's important to know common symptoms of intoxication. I agree. And withdrawal for uh, psychoactive drugs as well as treatment options, meaning that you need to know and memorize, sorry, my hate memorizing antidotes. Side effects of a PCP intoxication, which is benzoyl intoxication, include violence, impulsivity, psychomotor agitations, nystagmus, hypertension, tachycardia, psychosis, delirium, and seizures. Treatment for fencyclidine intoxication includes benzos and rapid-acting antipsychotics. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, another MedPrep2Go episode, and uh, I will catch you folks soon. Study hard.